Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. I want to start today's message by asking you a question, and I want everyone to participate. And the question is this, what is your favorite movie? It may be favorite movie of all time. It may be like your favorite movie right now. Just take a moment to think about it because I'm going to count to three, and I want you to shout out your favorite movie. You think you guys can help me out? If you're watching online, you can put that in the comment section below because I, I want to go back and read that. But here we go. One, two, three. Okay, so that just sounded like a bunch of jumble. So why don't, what did you say? A I cannot, so that is actually one of my favorite movies of all time as well. It's an incredible movie. But what, th there's one thing that every single movie has in common. Every movie will have some form of conflict and tension. It's what makes the movie worth watching. It's what makes the story interesting. It's what makes the happy ending so rewarding. If the entire movie was just happy with no tension, then there would be no payoff in the end. A few weeks ago, we asked the question, uh, how many of you think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie? And you all voted. And I'll just say, I do believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie because here's why, here's why it's, it starts off on Christmas Eve at a company Christmas party. But that's not what makes the movie interesting. It's not just a Christmas party. I mean, how many of you would watch two hours of people just sitting there, sipping their drink, listening to music and dancing? No one's going to do it. You may, you may like watch five minutes of it, but then you're like, I'm out of here. Why? Because it's the conflict that happens in the movie that compels us. It's what draws us in. It's the terrorists coming in, taking over the hotel, having all of these hostages, and then John McClane in his hotel room, barefooted, going through the air duct system to save the day. It's the trials that he has to go through. It's the pain he has to go through. It's all of these things that pull us in. It's what makes the story worth watching. I don't know if you're aware of this, but your life is one big story made up of smaller stories which will have conflict and trials. We don't like that. Most of us don't like conflict. I know that I don't like conflict. However, it is what makes our story interesting. It is what gives us a testimony. The conflicts that we walk through, the trials we face, teach us to trust God on a whole new level. It actually builds our faith, which is such a beautiful thing to know that the enemy is trying to bring something in our life that is going to destroy us. However, at the same time, God is using that same thing to build us to strengthen us and to teach us how to uh, conquer, teaching us how to overcome. So although we don't like conflict, conflict can actually be a very healthy thing for our life. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the ultimate 
measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. I want to read that again, and I want this to sink into your heart this morning. Think about this. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Why? Because conflict has the ability to expose some things in you that you were not aware of before you walked through it. Conflict has the ability to expose your deepest fears and doubts, but conflict also has the ability to expose your faith. And how you deal with these moments of conflict will determine how that portion of your story ends. So today, I want to talk to you from the subject of conquering conflict. Turn to the person next to you and say, conquering conflict. We're going to look at a story from 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we're going to land. And this story is centered around a man named Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. His story starts off with riches and honor. His story starts off in one of those convenient, nice, comfortable places of life that we all like. But let me just as a side note say this. If you want to accomplish anything great in your life, learn to live comfortably uncomfortable. Comfort and convenience is a killer of progress in your life. You want to see your marriage fall apart? Get comfortable in that marriage. Start taking things for granted. Stop working for it the way you used to work for it. You want to see a business fall apart? Get comfortable with where it's at. You know what, Bob? It's big enough. It doesn't need to get any bigger. I don't, I don't need any more. Now's the time where I can just sit back and enjoy the fruit of my labor. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you hit the autopilot button, things are going to start to decline in your life. Comfort and convenience, we enjoy it, but it's not healthy for us. Conflict and trial does more for us than comfort ever will. I learn more about who I am and who God is in the valley of my life than I do on the mountaintop. I love mountaintop experiences. Don't get me wrong. I celebrate and I thank Jesus Christ for the times I get to stand on the the mountaintop and everything's going well, but I have learned to find God, a true, sincere faith, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley when I've had to walk through hell. The times where I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And so Jehoshaphat's story, it starts off with comfort, convenience. It starts off with wealth and riches. The Bible says about him, it says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he sought God and walked in his commandments. That's where the story starts. But by the time you get to chapter 20, you're going to see some conflict. Because this is when all of these armies team up against him. And Jehoshaphat does not have the ability nor the resources to handle the conflict. But I think that we can learn something from this story that will help us in our moments of trial, in our moments of conflict. So let's go 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, 
and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. There's the conflict. Turn to the person next to you say conflict. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat, watch verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. I'm going to go back to that later on in this sermon, but right now I just want you to know that it is possible for faith and fear to operate within the same space. And just because you have moments of fear or doubt does not mean you do not have faith. It's all about learning how to pivot, how to shift from one to the other because they are always with us. How many of you have lived life long enough as a Christian to understand that you have faith, but you also have moments of fear? That's where Jehoshaphat is. We already know that he loves God. He has sought sought after God, but now he's in a conflict, and with it, the conflict brings fear. But instead of leaning into the fear, he sets his face to seek the Lord. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. There's the shift. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So it's not just Jehoshaphat. It's now the people of God coming around Jehoshaphat, uniting together to seek after God. You want to see amazing things happen within our city, our state, and our nation? If we can get beyond just me and a few other people seeking after God with their whole heart, and we get a body of believers that say, you know what, this is what really matters. We're unifying ourselves around the vision that God has given us. You will see revival happen. But revival happens when people get hungry for more of God. Sadly, it takes sometimes conflict to get us there. Oh, when will we learn, church? When will we learn to seek God before the storm? Because sometimes it is only the storm that causes us to look at Jesus. When everything's going well, we live life however we want. But when the storm comes, we turn our attention. And I'm just glad that God is more faithful than I am. So now the people of God are joining with Jehoshaphat to seek after the Lord. Verse 5, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand our power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. That right there, my friend, is a declaration of praise. Your praise and worship invokes the presence of God. And when you are going through a conflict, you want to know that God is there with you. So I want you to notice here how Jehoshaphat is praying. 
He knows there's a problem, but instead of coming to God with just the problem, he starts declaring who God is. He starts saying, God, you have the ability to handle this crisis. That is a key to prayer life right there. So many times we come to God, and all we do is we give him our problems. And there is room for that. The Bible teaches us that we cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. But at some point in time, I'm not just bringing my problems to him. I'm bringing my problems to him because I believe he can solve them. So I'm declaring, God, you are in charge of it all. You rule all the kingdoms. God, even the armies that are set out against me, you have power and authority over. So I start with praise. And this is how Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven. So there's a recognition of who he is. He is my father. He's not a far-off, distant, cosmic being. He is a God who is intimately involved in my life. He loves me. He cares about what I'm going through. And some of you in here right now, you need to know that the thing that you are going through, God, he's not just aware of it, but he cares. He cares. And he wants to help you because he is a father. How many fathers do we have in the house? You know what it's like to see your child in distress. You will do anything within your power and your ability to help. Now magnify that by infinity. That's our God. When he sees us going through something and we acknowledge him in prayer and we have faith in knowing that he is able to move on our behalf, he steps into the situation. And when God steps into the situation, that's when victory starts to happen. See, it's not about my ability. It's not about my resources. It is all about Jesus Christ who has all ability, all power. And now I know according to scripture that he is on my side. He is mindful. He is my ever present help in time of need. So there's a shift there. He's got a problem. He's aware of the problem. But he begins to seek the Lord. Now let's go to verse 7. He says this. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? He's starting to talk to God about what God has done. That's powerful. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. I don't have this in the notes, but I want to say this. When we talk about praying in the name of Jesus... That is not just saying, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. What it is doing is, I am praying according to the nature and the character of who God is. That's what Jehoshaphat's doing. He's saying, God, did you not say? Because he knows God will honor his word above his name. God, did you not say that you would do this? 
And we're remembering this, God. We're remembering that you have said this about me. You've said this about my family. You've said this about my community. And God, I'm calling to remembrance what you have said, and I'm declaring that I have faith enough to pull it into my reality. That's what faith does. Faith takes what God has made available, and it pulls it into my reality. If you do not have faith, you will never pull the things of God into your reality. Jehoshaphat, he's remembering, he's recognizing, he's honoring, he's praising. These are all keys here. So he says, verse 10, And now behold, the man of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There it is. That's what jumps out to me in this story. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I don't know how many times I've prayed that prayer in my life. God, I, I don't know what to do. I know that you think I float out of bed in the morning and I'm showered by his presence and I don't have any problems. But I promise you, there have been so many times in my life where I don't know what to do. And I know that the situation is beyond my ability and my resources. There are times as a father, Bob, I don't know what to do. I don't know the solution. I don't know how to handle this situation for my children. I don't know how to communicate the proper response. As a husband, there are times I don't know what to do. There are times as a pastor, I don't know what to do. There are times financially, I don't know what to do, and I know it's beyond my ability. And I think if you were to be honest this morning, most of you would say you've been there at some point or another. We're only 15 days into a brand new year, and some of you have already faced challenges that you don't know how to fix. There are issues in your life that are beyond your ability, and you are willing to admit this is above my pay grade. That's Jehoshaphat. That's where he is in this story. He's saying, I've got a huge problem. All of these armies are teamed up against me, and we are not big enough. We don't have enough resources. We don't know, have enough power to handle them. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So here's the key right here. When you don't know what to do, you have to know where to look. Turn to the person next to you and say, when you don't know what to do, you have to know where to look. See, I cannot control what's going on in the world. I cannot control what's going on in the economy. I cannot control how people treat me. I have no control over whether they like me or don't like me. I don't have any control over who comes into my life or who exits my life. Those are things that are beyond 
my power. Those are things that I do not have the ability to handle on my own. But just because I can't fix it, I do know where to look. Are you following what I'm saying? The Bible says in the book of Psalms, it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What is he saying? When I get into a situation that I don't know how to fix, I know where to look. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. He is the one that made heaven and earth. And if he can control the universe, surely he can handle my problem. If he can cause grass to grow, birds to fly, fish to swim, stars to stay in their place, if he can do all that, surely he can handle what I'm going through. And so instead of looking at the size of my opposition, I start looking at the greatness of my God. And that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. He is aware of the opposition, but instead of harping on how big the army is and how many they are uh, that are coming after him and all this stuff, he simply says, I know I can't handle it, but I know where to look. And he starts talking about the greatness of God. He starts talking about the power of God. Why? Because the more you magnify God, the bigger he gets in your life. The bigger he gets in your life, the more you'll be able to see him do in your life. So stop looking at the problems and start looking at the one who has every single solution. He knows all things. I do not. He can do all things. I cannot on my own. But with him, I have wisdom that goes beyond my natural ability. He can show me things that I cannot see on my own. He can tell me things that I've never heard before. And when I acknowledge him, he directs my paths. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. So here's how I live. I know conflict and trials there. I know I may be headed towards it. But at the same time I'm walking towards that conflict, I know that he is ordering my steps. I know that he has already prepared a victory for me. I know that he has already prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I know that I am coming over and not going under. I know I am the head and not the tail. I know I am above and not beneath. I shift my eyes. I shift my eyes. And that's what Jehoshaphat is doing. He's not looking at the size of his opposition. He's looking at the greatness of his God. And and you have to understand, you can either look at the problem or you can look at the one who holds the solution. Look what the Bible says. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat was afraid and chose to set his face to seek the Lord. There's the shift I talked about earlier. You have to understand that In between faith and fear, there is a line that you are standing on. In every situation you face in life, there will be fear and there will be faith. 
What you have to determine is which one you're going to shift your attention to. So when I come into conflict, I have the opportunity to do either. I can either start sizing up my opposition and talking about how bad this is and shift my attention towards my fear and feed my fear, or I can say I'm aware that this exists, but I'm also aware of a God who is more than able to meet me at the point of my need, that he is an ever-present help in time of need. I make the shift. I make the pivot. That's powerful, and that's something you have to do in your life because the one that you feed is the one that's going to grow. If you continue to move and operate within fear, it's going to grow. And hear what I'm saying. Fear is actually faith in the wrong direction. You want to know why so many times bad things are able to come into our life? Because you have faith for it. You have faith that when sickness comes into an area, it's going to get me and my family. You have faith for it. You believe it, you declare it, and your actions walk it out. You never thought about it that way, did you? You get married. You start having problems in your marriage. You have faith that your marriage is going to fall apart because my grandparents' marriage fell apart. My parents' marriage fell apart. You know what? There's a good chance, Bob, that one day my marriage is going to dissolve too. I hope not, but there's, you know, Chances are it's going to fall apart. What am I doing? I'm shifting my faith in the wrong direction. Instead of doing that, why not start seeking after what God has said for your life and standing on his promises? Even if it's just one verse you can find in the Bible that you say, you know what, throughout this year, I'm standing on this one verse. This is going to be my go-to. When all hell breaks loose, I'm going to this verse. I'm not just going to look at it. I'm not just going to quote it. But I'm going to believe that this is for me. Shift. The shift from fear to faith. They're both there. Which one do you look at? You familiar with the story of Peter walking on the water? He sees a ghost. Or it's what he thinks is a ghost. And then Jesus is like, no, 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 it's me. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. So the word is spoken. There's a process there. The word is spoken. Now Peter steps out in faith and stands on the word. See, it wasn't the water holding him up. It was the word of God through faith that was holding him up. So now here he is. He's, he's, I mean, defying all kinds of natural laws. And he's walking towards Jesus. Here's the problem. The wind and the waves did not cease. So now he's out on this water, and instead of standing on the word through faith, he starts to look at the wind. He starts to look at the waves. Fear sets in. Now what happens? He sinks. Fear and faith were both there. Faith got him out on the water. His fear caused him to sink. Here's the point of Jehoshaphat's story. Faith and fear were operating within the same space. 
And that's how it is with each and every one of us. If you're going to be honest, you will say you have had moments of doubt and fear. If you say you never have fear, you never have any form of doubt, I would say you're lying. But that's just me. I could be wrong. I can only base it off my story of knowing myself and knowing a lot of people who were a lot more spiritual than I am and seeing that they had moments of fear, but they never leaned into it. That's the difference. That's the difference. They didn't live by the fear. They dismissed the fear and lived by faith. And so Jehoshaphat, he's got both of these things happening at the same exact time. He's got the fear of the army he can't handle, but he's got faith in his God. And so what does he do? He shifts his focus to say, God, I know I can't handle this, but you can. So instead of looking at the problem, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. Focus is the solution to every problem. Proper focus, looking in the right direction, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, continuing to draw near to him. And when opposition comes, you don't back off, you keep on moving. I said it last week, I can run through that troop. I can leap over that wall. The troop is there. I'm not ignoring it. Faith is not ignoring, the re- ignoring reality. Some people teach, well, you know, I've got a headache. Well, brother, you don't got faith. You need to start saying, I don't have a headache. No, the truth is I've got a headache. Faith is not ignoring reality. Faith is saying, I know that I have a headache, but I also know a God who is able to deliver me from this thing. That's faith. It's not ignoring what's happening. It's declaring that God is bigger than the problem. It's declaring that God has the solution. And the more I begin to do that, the more I begin to live that way, the more victory I'll see in my life. In this room today, there are probably three categories of people. One is you've made it through something that was challenging and now you're standing on the other side. One could be that you are currently in a situation, a conflict that you don't know how to handle. And the third option is a conflict on the way that you're not aware of. And we're all, all going to fit into one of those categories. And the reason sermons like this are so important is because they prepare us on how to handle it when it comes and how to defeat it when it's here. I want, as a pastor, to see you live in victory. Debbie, I'm tired of seeing the people of God be destroyed, be cast down. We should be a people of joy. We should be a people of laughter. We should be a people of dancing, not because everything goes right all the time, but because God has the ability to help us. And if we can ever get the understanding that praise precedes the battle and brings the victory, we'll start winning. But we don't praise. We don't praise. When problems happen, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Start thinking about it. When the problem comes, what is your knee-jerk reaction? Do you feed into it? Or do you start dealing with it through praise and prayer? And sometimes even going as far as Jehoshaphat to say, you know what, I'm calling a fast. And I'm going to get before God until I see the victory.
I want to pray for everyone in this room and for everyone who's watching online right now. And Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that you are God. You are king. You are set on throne, on the throne. Lord, every problem and every issue is under your feet. And Lord, your blood has given us the victory. And so today, God, we ask for your help in the situation that we're dealing with that we don't know how to handle. Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom. We ask that you would give us a word. We ask that you would give us direction. Lord, we thank you for ordering our steps and directing our path. Lord, we thank you for bringing a resolve to this issue. Lord, the same way you gave Jehoshaphat victory in an impossible situation, Lord, we believe today you're going to give us victory in our impossible situation. In Jesus' name.